Hello, I'm James Woodcock of PixelRefresh.com and this is Game and Gadget Podcast number 19 recorded live for the very first time on YouTube, on our new YouTube channel. And here with me, as per usual, is my co-host, who is also uh, with another co, co-founder of Revolution Software, Mr. Tony Warner. Welcome back, Tony. So for anyone who's listening in the audio podcast, that was a salute from Tony. <laughs> so how's it been, Tony? How did you manage with uh, up towards 40 degrees of heat in the UK? Well, I mean, it wasn't too bad, actually. It was only like two days, wasn't it? So like two days, you can kind of go, oh, well, this will be funny and see how it is kind of thing. And then, you know, back to normal after that. So I thought it was all right, actually. And, and you know... They, they were kind of saying everyone's going to kind of die and the world's going to end and stuff, but it's only it's only what you get when you go to Spain or something, isn't it? Amazingly, I'd booked that week off work. And also amazingly, I decided to go shopping with my wife. So we went to Meadow Hall in Sheffield, which <laughs> was virtually empty, which is virtually unheard of for Meadow Hall. And the okay. air conditioning was beautiful. Oh, right. Good, so good Monday, time. we spent the whole day there. And I'd like to say it was because of the shopping experience and the food, but really it was the air conditioning that swung it in the end. Yeah, yeah. We've got a Tesco Express just like 150 metres away and, and it's freezing in there. So that was a good place to go fairly often. <laughs> Actually, we went to Booker's as well and they have a chill room. Um, but and we went in there and went thought oh this is so good but then about literally 30 seconds later it was it was just too cold <laughs> so we had to wow. come back out again to warm up and like i mean the chill room is like really cold it's 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 all it's not freezing but it's not far off and it's like it's like a fridge it's like two degrees or something it's really cold but it's a whole room it's quite it's quite an experience understood understood so in the last game and gadget podcast we we're actually ironically talking about the state of ipad os and how, after myself getting an iPad Pro, after the last iPad I had before that was iPad 3. So we're going back a number of years. And in terms of the actual operating system, not much had really happened to make it feel more like a computer-like device. And maybe it was a bit of optimism. Maybe some of it was Apple marketing pushing the boundaries just that bit too far. But certainly iPad OS 15 didn't quite hit the target for me there was always limitations which i kept bumping into certainly compared to anything like a laptop and i was being forgiving but even so it was a little bit frustrating at times however then literally probably a couple of weeks after that podcast i can't say i can't claim any credit for it obviously apple then announced ipad os 16 and in this one they announced something i think fairly huge, something called Stage Manager, which basically allows you to have almost, almost a window-like interface. So I can have one app over here. I can have an app on the other side. So before the idea of iPad multitasking was there's a few dots at the top of the screen. You'd select that and it would give you options. Do you want to have a side-by-side -side view? You could maybe adjust that a little bit, but it was very rigid. You had to add it half-half or one-third and then two-thirds and very little beyond that. There were some other options available, like you could have it slide in and be over the top of other apps, but I didn't find that actually that useful. But then this stage manager came along, and it was really ropey in the first public beta, but now the second beta has just been released. Oh, my word, it's actually quite a bit better. You can have right. apps overlapping other apps if you need to just switch between two in a view. And then the stage manager thing you've got on the left-hand side of the screen, you've got four almost like workspaces to select from. So one may have Twitter in along with your notepad, and then the next one may have some, another couple of windows. Mm. It's still very Apple-like in sense of the windows are very fixed to the width and height they're going to be. You can't customize it like you would on mac os or windows or linux where you want it oh, just that pixel in you can't do that it's all pretty defined that you can have a window this big 
You can have a window this little bit smaller, maybe a bit bigger. Anything in between? No, no, forget that. You can't do that. That's a little bit out of scope for what they're doing. But, you know, compared to what we had before, this does feel like something that's going to be a lot more practical and usable and far more like, without it actually being a laptop, without it actually copying Mac OS, it feels like something that's going to be better for multitasking and just keeping a few more apps in view. Does it actually help you do anything, though? It's a beta, so I haven't really overloaded it yet. But I've been putting a couple of apps next to each other, and the main thing also is the TV out, which used to just literally mirror what you had on your iPad screen, now is a proper extended display with, again, this same stage manager interface if you want it. And you can turn it on and off. If you don't like it, you just turn it off. It's, it's M chip only, isn't it? So it's not going to work on mine. Correct. So it's M1 and above, although there's no above just yet, but I'm sure the next iPad Pro is probably going to be announced in the next yeah, two to three months. Will be. I assume will be. So, right, will so be I need, yeah, I need, yet again, I need a new iPad. Well, well if I want to do this. See, it's last year. This time last year, I was thinking it'd be good to get a new iPad. And there's a new one coming and it's going to be great. And, it's, and, and that'll be it. It'll last me for years. Years and years, you know, because the glory days of, of iPad 2, I mean, that thing lasted for years, like five or six years, didn't it? You didn't need to get another one. iPad 2 was brilliant. Yeah. So then I thought last year, I'll get, I'll get a new iPad, and a new iPad Air, and it'll be, it'll be great for years and years. And now, you know, all the new stuff is on the M chip. So I still need, I still need to think about getting a Pro if I want to see the new stuff. I can't believe it. Well, for your personal use case, though, do you need the new stuff rather than having to use the new stuff? Does anybody need it? I kind of want to use it. I don't want to take my laptop if I can avoid it. I'd sooner just take my iPad. So if I can get 75% of the way there, that would make me happy. Yeah. See, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. See, the, app, the app is meant to be, maybe, they, maybe they've they gone too far and actually they should simplify it. So like, it's just one app in the whole screen. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I think uh, well, go. you've got that option. You just they don't turn go. stage manager on. You literally from the control they panel should. have to swipe down and turn it on. They should simplify it. It's got to make it less like, an, like, a, like a Mac. That would be the way to go. You're going to take away the keyboard and the mouse and the touch, um, the stylus, aren't you? We're going to be back to Steve Jobs' era of iPad. <laughs> iPad 1, it was brilliant. It was about an inch thick as well, you know, it was about... It was about oh, yeah, the thick. iPad 1, the original one, was really chunky yeah, compared well. to the iPad 2. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those were the days when you saw real rapid development. iPad 1, it was a tablet, beautiful tablet, but it certainly wasn't perfect. You could tell it got some thickness and weight to it. Then iPad 2 came along. And as you say, it was really thin. That was a great machine. It really was at the time. And then iPad 3 followed that, and that's when the Retina display came in for the iPad. It was just a bit too slow and couldn't really power the thing. But anyway, it had Retina display. And then seven months later, as I mentioned in the last podcast, they released the iPad 4. And of course, James brought the iPad 3. But anyway, twice as fast a processor and it's probably just to cope with the fact of the retina display just taking too much of a toll i told you the story of uh, of how we got an ipad one i must have done i must have I told don't you think that. so not the one but we, we had we had to get one you see we had to uh we had to put a steel sky on it or something like that um uh -huh. apple were, were pushing us to do it and of course they didn't and they, and they were like on the phone the next day you know like steve jobs did his thing and said ipad and everyone was like where are we this is ace and, and the next day literally apple uk were, were on the phone to us saying you need to get your game onto this like like next week so we said all right send us an ipad and they were like well we don't have any <laughs> we don't i mean we're apple but we, we didn't even know about this until we saw it on on the on the telly like you did last night but we need we need a version like in, in a week or two so we had to get one. We had to find someone. I think it was Charles's cousin. Also. He, he, he remembered he had a, co a distant cousin in, in San Francisco. So we, we, we got this cousin to go go and queue up and stuff in San Francisco, get one of these iPad ones, FedEx it to the UK, um, mm. where where Charles got his, his greasy hands on it. And then I had to go over to Charles's house and pry, pry the thing off him 
and uh, and take it home and, and set it up and, and do, do some work on it. But that night, it was great. That night, I went to the pub and I thought, oh, I'll show the guys the the, uh, the new iPad and just just casually bring it along. So I walk. I thought I'm just going to get. I'm going to get. I'm going to get robbed or something if I walk through through York carrying an iPad. So I put it in a jiffy bag, which was the perfect disguise. <laughs> and uh, got got to the pub and got the thing out and started showing everybody. And pretty soon there was like a, there was like a, a a gaggle of people, random people from around the pub going, "Is that an iPad? Is that an iPad?" Wow, it was fantastic. We're like if we'd if we'd had a puppy or something or a kitten and put it on the table, you know, and we'd have had a similar sized crowd of people. It was great. I mean, there was a very short window where that would work, like like two weeks or something. But the first iPad in New York was quite a spectacle. <laughs> Heady days. Yeah. And, of course, when you say Still Sky, that's beneath a Still Sky, which was released by Revolution Software, and you were hoping to do an iOS port at the time. So how did the iOS port of Beneath a Still Sky come about, really? Where, where was the starting point for that? Uh, well, they they actually, I mean, Apple UK uh, Dev Relations people rang us up um, long before Steel Sky, like six months or so, and I think we were busy on something like uh, the. I think it was the director's cut for the for the, um, the the Nintendo machines for Ubisoft. So we were very busy with that. They said, "You must, you must can we come and see you? Can we and, we, and you know." The idea that Apple would ring you up and, and offer to come and see you to sell you on some hardware was, uh, you know, a pretty, a pretty remarkable thing to be honest. And it certainly doesn't happen now. But eventually they came up and, and told us all this stuff about it. And the this is the iPhone, of course, and said the market, you know, how big the market was and how much money you'll make and all these things. And um, and they were and, and to be fair, they were they were both Broken Sword fans. These 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 two, Dave Curl and um, Paul Burford, that came to see us and. Uh, and we said, okay, well, you know, we'll 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 get into it. Uh, we're a little bit busy at the moment, but then when we came to do it, we had a little bit of time, and we we kind of looked at Steel Sky as being a simpler thing, and the screen the screen resolution was exactly right for the for the iPhone and all this kind of stuff. So we decided to go with 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 Steel Sky first, uh, and um, and it wasn't too bad, you know. We we did it and got it working in, in three or four months and put it out, and and it did did pretty great i mean i remember when we announced it on on twitter i've I'd never seen so many retweets it was um it was momentous you know it's a long time ago now isn't it 2008 or something time, so. time flies doesn't it well someone told me today that spice girls wannabe is 25 years old <laughs> no way <laughs> <laughs> i was like really and that's just, yeah I should probably Google it to make sure, but I believe him. I believe him. 25 years. Yeah, I guess it was mid-90s, wasn't it, that stuff? The beauty of 90s cheese. They were quite but good it was good cheese they, at the time. It was they, wrote, they wrote good pop songs, and that was the thing. Oh, they did. I think, unfortunately, sorry, Spice Girls, I'm sure they're not watching, but regardless, I think some of it's dated quite badly compared to some other music of the time. But you know, I was well within that era, and I was—I don't mind admitting—I was a massive Spice Girls fan at the time. Yeah. So you good. know, I was one of those mental ones to buy an album. But I have, you know, I haven't listened to their music in years and years and years. So I couldn't help but laugh when, in, in a sort of pleasing, ironic way, that um, there's a big bit of a craze going on right now, particularly with music services like Apple Music, where they're wanting as much music as possible to be in Dolby Atmos. So you'll get proper surround music, which we haven't seen in the consumer space properly or successfully for a long time. It never really took off. There's been DVD audio, there's been super audio CD that could support 5.1 music, but it may be Dolby Atmos because it's compatible with any set of headphones for music that um, you still need a phone with Dolby Atmos compatibility. But if you ignore that for the minute, you know, Apple's fully behind it. And one of the albums you could, it was done for Dolby Atmos was Spice Girls, the very first really? album. I thought, I've got to listen to this at some point just to hear how is it going to use all the five channels and the height speakers. 
and in theory it can be more than five channels and it's not really channel specific it's 360 degree audio but regardless i did make me chuck when of all the albums of history the spice girls album one is there in dolby atmos there's probably a reason for that it's probably something to do with demographics and age groups and stuff maybe maybe they're just it, well it'd be the record companies deciding this so they must be thinking let's take something from each genre each era probably yeah. but it does probably, seem to be getting supplemental yeah. There's probably a Die Straits album on there as well, I bet. I have never checked. I will have a look for you if you remind me. But is, uh, Elton John was quite a recent one. one. Elton, Elton John. John was one recently that's been added. Loads of songs in Dolby Atmos. And actually, it sounds really good. There's other mixes that aren't so good. So there was a Brian Adams album I was listening to not that long ago. And there's just some odd choices in where the vocals were sat and things like that. So it's like anything if the mix of that original source isn't right. And it's got to reflect, and this is the difficulty, anything like this, it's got to kind of represent that original stereo track. But isn't it too make late? It... Sorry? Isn't it too late? Doesn't it have to be recorded in a, in a special way to get the most out of it? Nope. Like surround speakers or something? Or surround nope. microphones? Nope. No? Even, you know, even Beatles are in Dolby Atmos. And the effect may be more subtle because of the recording equipment limitations at the time. Mm. But they've still got enough track information to at least expand the sound, which is really crazy because some of those tracks would have been mono <laughs> originally released. Well, and then there yeah. would have been like a stereo version and now there's a Atmos version. But certainly the further you go back, the more difficult it is to get individual... Uh, recordings of the mix, but from what I've seen, like uh, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, even on, it wasn't DVD or, no, it was DVD audio, but it was also DTS, um, what was there for? Like DTS HD, I think it was, but it was in 96 kilohertz, 24 bit. And I've got the disc somewhere lurking around. Mm. But that was the 5.1 track. And it was like, Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia with their speakers going around. Now, if they'd had it full, you know, full separated tracks, I'm sure they could have split the harmony really well across the channels, but they're not. It's a little bit more bouncing from channel to channel. So a little less exciting. Mm. But it was a novelty, and this was years ago, years ago. And that's, yeah. now that's available in Dolby Atlas, but I think it sounds pretty much like the original track IOGs ago, so I don't think much has been done with it. But mm. certainly, if you, and there's, uh, there's some actually YouTube videos I was watching also this week, in fact, and it was this person who's a vocal coach breaking down Michael Jackson tracks, and somehow he'd got the source recordings with the individual tracks on. So he could go in and literally mute everything else and just listen to the raw sound of Michael Jackson. Now you think, well, why would you want to do that? But the point was there was about, you know, there's possibly 50 different tracks for one of his songs from 30-odd years ago. And to hear Michael Jackson in a raw format, you could really, you know, without any of this modern pitch correction stuff and auto-tune, where he wasn't quite pitch perfect, once it was mixed with everything else, it added to the personality of the track. And also, there was quite a bit where he could hear him sort of stomping his feet as he was getting into his groove and clicking his fingers and all his woohoo and all that business. He was just fascinating just to hear that bit soloed from everything else. But it did also show that, you know, if you don't go too far back, there's still a whole catalogue of music where there's a lot of track information where they can separate it and, you know, put it in a 360-degree world quite successfully. So I'm hoping some Michael Jackson goes Dolby Atmos, if there isn't already, because I haven't spotted any yet. And we get to buy all, all our music again. Well, if you're on a streaming service, you don't. Apple Music, what is it, £10 a month, and it's Dolby Atmos. I'm a Spotify man myself, but, you know. Uh, you're still stuck on that good old Og Vorbis format. <laughs> yeah. 
actually, I read. Uh, I've forgotten about Dolby Atmos, but I read a thing. I read a review of a Sonos, a Sonos um, soundbar thing that supported it, and it sounded quite difficult to actually make it work. You know, like what you connect it to to feed the data back into it, and it sounded like a faff to me. So I was kind of, mm, I'll forget about this for a while. Yeah, I was actually talking to someone about this recently. If you've got a soundbar, you'd have to have. I don't think there's that many TVs that actually support the signal as such to actually be able to send it to something else as an Atmos. So you're usually better getting like a Google TV or Amazon stick or something like that that shows it's got Atmos support. That's Mm. your quickest way in if you have a soundbar with Atmos. Which I don't, so we'll, we'll just wait and see what happens with all that. And if you wanted, and this is where it gets annoying, if you want the Dolby Atmos for Apple Music, you probably need the Apple TV to fully get all the benefits of that. Presumably, though, if you if you have Apple Music on your Mac and you have Apple headphones, then it's just going to work, isn't it? I Must think do. the Mac itself needs to be Dolby Atmos. It needs to advertise it's got Dolby Atmos compatibility. I don't think it's the case. Like my Android phone. There's other Android phones that don't have this Dolby Atmos. Isn't it just codecs and software? I think they have to pay a license so not everything has it, and that's the problem. Okay. So Dolby makes the money off per device sold, probably. They get a little bit thrown in to have this as part of it. So it's not a matter I can plug my headphones into any Android device and I can get Atmos. It has to be specifically Atmos certified. So the, I've seen newer Macs that say they're Atmos. So even coming out the speakers, it will give you an Atmos effect, shall we say. Mm. And my iPad Pro, it's got it's Dolby Atmos. And it sounds pretty darn good because it's got the four speakers in it. And, you know, if you sit yourself directly in front of it, it sounds pretty good. But it's always better with the headphones. Unless you mm. have the full Dolby sort of Atmos surround setup going on as well. But, yeah, it's yeah. not a matter of... Um, uh, we've just had a question. I don't think there's a way to get Apple Music Atmos through an Atmos amp, Apple TV, or a Mac with Dolby Atmos certification, and then maybe you could HDMI that into an amp. Surely a Mac is a Mac. A Mac is a Mac. <laughs> yeah, but it's got HDMI out, so as long as it passes through the signal. Yeah. So probably your new MacBook Pro supports Dolby Atmos. You would hope so, wouldn't you? Hmm. It's worth double checking. And then you can throw in some headphones. Well, I've got Apple. Um, well, I, I've got expensive Sony M4s and I've got Apple iPod latest ones. So you'd think something would work, wouldn't you? Oh, more reason to look at Apple Music, maybe. <laughs> Can we pull you away from Spotify? I don't know. But Spotify seems to be doing okay, even though they haven't gone lossless yet. February, what was it, 2021, they promised? Lossless? I like, I like Spotify. And here we are, 2nd of August, still waiting for the, the darn thing. Yeah. I'll tell you what's impressive, though, and that in the audio of uh, arena and that that is the, the whatever it is the new the new ipod things that, I, that i've got i mean the spatial thing so if i listen to uh, like if i'm watching the snooker or something that i'm working then i have the i i have I, f- I feel it through sky the sky app on my ipad which is sat to the left of me and you, you i feel it through into the speaker, into the headphone thing, the iPod things, you know, the white things. And, and it, because it's spatial, the sound is coming from the iPod, the, so the the iPad to to my left. And I'm going, you can't tell if you've got the things in or not. It's so clever because it's directional. See, so I'm taking them off and going, nope, it's definitely coming out and putting them back on. And it sounds just as if it's coming. And then you turn it in your head and the, and the sound is, is, is changing. Oh, it, cool. it, it, it's really good. Like you cannot tell that you've got them on because it's because it's every time you you move it, it the, the, it's coming from a place, you know. Right. It's, I didn't realize it, it worked with stereo sources as well. Then it's amazing. It, I mean, it just fools you. You, you can't. You, you have to do a double take to check that you, you're actually the thing is actually doing what you think it's doing. You know. 
it's so effective. Have you ever it's had a weird. trial of Apple Music? No. There must be a month trial you can just sign up to, just to try Atmos for a month. Because that, I mean, I've got some Sony headphones. And unfortunately, Apple, being Apple, it has to be one of their latest Apple headphones, earphones, etc., for the turning your head thing to track and have that audio awareness. So I'll get 360 sound through my Sony headphones, which is great. But, you know, if I turn my head, the sound will just turn with me, where what you're saying is if there's someone directly speaking directly ahead, if you turn your head, that sound is going to shift as you turn. Yeah. With my headphones, it's just rigid, which is fine. I still get Dolby Atmos, and it's great, but, yeah, because you have an extra dimension, which... Well, I'm not sure you want yeah. the spatial thing on music anyway, but it's 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 quite it's quite okay for like TV type thing, I think, because it because it looks like it's matching the display. You know, it's matching where the where the where the picture is. But for just music, I don't think you need it. I mean, why, why does it need to be coming from somewhere? It just wants to be around your head, doesn't it? So I don't think you actually want it for music. But that's different from Atmos. I mean, Atmos is just a super stereo, isn't it? Which which makes perfect sense. But you, you don't you don't need to link it to a point in the room that you're in. As no. such, no, this is true. This is true. But certainly a free trial. Give it a go. But like I say, some mixes are better than others. I'd recommend if you like Elton John in any way, shape, or form. His mixes seem very good. If you like Brian Adams, maybe not so good. Um. It depends, I think, and this is actually what the DVD audio fell into the trap of. I had about several discs in this format, and they couldn't decide, even on the same album, whether the lead vocal, whoever it was, so let's say I've got the cores in blue on DVD audio. Does Andrea Core on this track come out the centre speaker, and then on the next track come out of both left and right speakers and ignore the center channel and literally on the same album they could not decide so the first album was it's in the left sorry the first track on the album was like left and right channels only for the vocal of andrea core and the next one would be the center exclusively it's like this is confusing and i think actually the best ones are where it's, it can mimic stereo a bit better and put the lead vocal in the left and right channels it's a little bit more familiar they can still use the sensor in the rears for other things, whether it's like, I mean, even Dolby Surround, if you go back even further in years, when it was analog, and from that two channels, Dolby would extrapolate from the frequencies where it thinks what should be in what channel, particularly for the rear. And it would give you like, usually when there was like the backing singers kicking in, that would predominantly come out the rear channels, which was quite nice for music, even though it wasn't, channel specific and Dolby Atmos needs to have some of that but just play around with the the capabilities it's got which it would never have had back then but yeah please for goodness sake if you've got a lead singer left and right channel don't go with the center and particularly don't keep switching on the same blinking album nothing worse <laughs> no in the grand scheme of things of life with everything that's going on, particularly right now, it sounds like a rather trivial thing. You know, this is, if you think that Dolby Atmos has got some legs and some life in it, and unlike other, you know, beyond stereo formats that have come and gone very quickly, Dolby Atmos actually seems to have a chance of sticking around. So in 30 years, if we're listening back to these same tracks, are we going to think, oh my God, it's out the centre channel again. Why isn't it like all the other stuff? It's from, it's going to be like that. Thin end of the wedge, isn't it? Yeah. I'm showing my age on to now, Tony. I'm becoming that grumpy old man. Just just step forward 20 years, it's the, the end of civilization, and we can trace it all back to... We'll trace it all back to bad Dolby Atmos mixers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Microphone placement. So, in terms of our last chat, tell me about your book, where we're at now. So yeah. the history of revolution software, Tony is writing about it for the people who haven't seen this before. But where are we up to right now? Because you must be getting close to Well, I don't know what I said last time, a couple of months ago, but I probably said it's nearly finished. And now it really is nearly finished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, 
myself and Martin uh, Mulrooney have, have, have done a lot of a lot of work on the edit. I mean, I, you know, I, I, as I probably said, you know, I kind of imagine you write the thing, you, you fix the spelling mistakes and a bit of grammar and Bob's your uncle, you know, you're done. That's actually not the case. And I, I now understand all this talk about first drafts that, that authors, proper authors talk about, you know, um, your first draft is, is really not your, your final draft in any sense of the word. So, I mean, we, we, and, 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 uh, I have both added a lot to this and tweaked it around and done so done a lot done a lot of work um, to it. Charles has has been reading it uh, and making a lot of comments, but he's he's been he's been very Charles like and um, uh, has, has gone very slowly and disappeared for for blocks of time. So we've had to harass Charles to, to get mm. him to do his bit. Now he's it's nearly finished. Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a book about. It's a book. Half the book is about how how games are late and why they might be late. You know, and uh, the the irony that the whole thing has flooded out on, and, and affected the book in the same ways. It's uh, not not lost on me, but uh, it, it's quite funny, really, because some of the reasons are the same. You know, underestimating how long things will take and different people's um, input and all the rest of it. But uh, it, Charles has nearly finished it now. In fact, he might finish it even tonight or tomorrow so um, that, yeah that'll be a big milestone um and i'm i'm now putting it into indesign which is an, an adobe product which is what you lay the thing out you know it, you have it in a word processor pages or google docs it's in at the moment and you, you can't just send that to the printers you know you have to put it you have to format it properly so adobe indesign is the package they all use and you can put your page layouts and your photographs and because it's going to have lots and lots and lots of pictures this book probably 150 pictures of things so um it's as much a picture book as it is 340 pages of text so it's going to be a big thing uh and it has to be laid out properly and in design is what you do and when you've done that you can send it to the printers and then you're in a, in a whole another world of, of pain you know finding a printer and choosing the paper and choosing the print type and the ink type and the binding type and the how you do the cover for the hardback and there's, there's so much stuff and it's and it's really expensive as well it turns out really really expensive to to print these things so uh it's it's all it's all a big eye opener but you know i bet you have to be bold don't you because i bet it's if you order 500 it's more per book. If you order a thousand, it's a little less per book. Well, it seems to be a thousand. What I'm looking at at the moment, a thousand costs a hell of a lot, and then another thousand is is a bit less on that on that second thousand. It seems to be quite a common theme. Uh, I mean, but I don't know how many I'm going to actually do on the Kickstarter. It might be three hundred. It might be three thousand. You know, who knows? But I have to I have to understand what it will cost either way. Um, but you know, it's going to be a high, a super high quality thing. Uh, as as you know, we, we always did the most expensive thing at Revolution, and um, this book is the same. You know, it needs to be needs to be the best it can be. So, you know, it, it it'll be it'll be the kind of price that these things go for on 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 Kickstarter. You know, low run, high quality things. But it'll be it'll be a nice thing when it's done. So, I mean, it potentially it could go. I could. And I'm going to get some test copies, like ten or something, and, and they're phenomenally expensive as well. But I'm going to that, that could even be next week if I like if I can find a printer. I might even be sending it off to be to for its initial run. Wow! And make a Kickstarter video and do do a Kickstarter, I guess. So it could be it could be the next few weeks, yeah. So who's helping with the Kickstarter stuff? Is is any sort of people have done this before? It said, oh, Tony, I can give you some advice or some help or you're literally going in and first time and seeing what can be done well i, I mean i obviously we did a kickstarter revolution so that's true uh, it's or 10 it's years ago <laughs> yeah it's 10 years ago but uh I, I i don't think all that much has changed actually as far as kickstarter itself is concerned um no pebble watches <laughs> yeah um i mean there's been a lot of disasters hasn't there but a Kickstarter seems to be quite good for books, uh, so that's that's something in our favour. Seems to be seems to be the world of books on Kickstarter is doing very well. Games, not so much. 
for one reason or another and big bits of hardware not not so well either but um books seem to do well so that's that's a good thing but yeah need to make a video how to do the video that's a good question i don't want to do a standard corporate type you know here's me sitting talking about my book in a very earnest way i, I don't i don't quite see see myself doing that so something something kind of weird and funny maybe tony blue screen here we go again yeah yeah. I mean, Revolutions 1 was all green screen. It was quite funny, really, all the stuff. Do you remember it? Charles talking to George and, and Nico yeah, yeah. and stuff. But it was quite clever, actually. But it was a lot of work. I mean, what we're going to do won't be as clever as that, but um, we'll see. We'll see. It'll, it'll be very, very low budget, but uh, that's all right. Make sure you, just make sure you chuck a floppy disk at the end. Yeah, well, I probably talked about this, didn't I? The whole the whole, the central theme that's going to be... The, throwing the discs to each other and um, I don't know maybe it'll be some sort of you see what I've got what I found recently was a load of footage that I took um, of the of the revolution kickstarter so I've got lots of videos of us all making that original kickstarter um, you know mucking around in the studio and in front of the green screen and all the rest of it and some other stuff from when we when we did um, update videos for the for the Britain Sword 5 um kickstarter in the office uh, quite often i was stood behind the scenes filming it all on, on on an iphone so i've got all that footage and it's, it's actually quite funny and, and interesting some of it so i i thought i might i might get some people like dave and probably not charles because he's super busy but um maybe martin and maybe even stevens if he if he's around and up for it and uh you know we're, we're going to film this disc chucking thing so that'll be like the proper thing that goes on in there but then we might i might i might one, one thing we could do is take a load of footage of that being made okay so us making the kickstarter this chucking thing but film it one step removed uh and then splice that splice that stuff together with that original kickstarter stuff that i've got um so you, you know it, it it's 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 stuff from ten years ago and it's stuff from now and and people talking about stuff and and maybe it'll be a, a, sort, of, a sort of a crazy documentary mini documentary type thing. I don't know something like that. It sounds lots of fun, if nothing else. <laughs> I, I watched uh, there's a there's a David Lynch documentary. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. David Lynch, the artist's art. Art of Life, Artist's Life, something like that. It's really, it's really interesting, and uh, I mean, you don't, you don't need to be a David Lynch fan, but uh, if you are, then it's, it's something you absolutely have to watch. I mean, it's just him mucking around in his studio, drawing things and making making things, and talking about crazy stuff, and also um, talking about his story, how he got started, you know, what he did, and how the how the first films were made, and it's super interesting. But it's just it's just someone's turned up and switched a camera on, you know. Uh, so I kind of got I got some of my idea from that. So that's the thinking. Who knows? It'll be a right mess, but it, but that that'll be its charm, you know. Well, I've been lucky enough to have a, a fairly early draft of the book. It's probably going to be fairly a bit different by the time I get to the final version because I'm not sure what draft version that was, but it must have been quite early on. Yeah, you're way back now. I'm way back. <laughs> But, you know, I'm, I've been really enjoying it and I hope to finish it soon. I've been that busy, which is one of the reasons we've not had a recording well for the Game and Gadget podcast. But, you know, I'll complete it and then I'll get the joy of reading it all over again in its final form. In, in terms of assets, then, have you had much trouble getting them all together or you had quite a few to hand? Assets? Well, I mean, I, I've got, I, I keep lots of photos, so it's just photos. I mean, you know, there there, there are, there are some photos from the early '90s of Revolution stuff. There's very little around the broken. I mean, obviously, Broken Sword One is is of particular interest to a lot of people, and, and there's very little photography from from that period, unfortunately. Uh, some, but not not huge amounts, because people didn't they didn't have camera phones back then, so there was very little. Unless you came in with a big camera and started shooting, and people would say, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's not a, it's not a normal thing like it is now. Uh, I mean, if I go to a meeting now, I take photographs of people and, and they're kind of like 
why are you doing that? You know, why are you taking photos? It's just as lot of talking about some design or something, you know. But I'm always thinking, ah, you know, but I know that in 20 years' time, we'll look at these photos and it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that was really interesting. I remember that now. So always take, that's the moral, always take lots of photos if you can, no matter how trivial the thing is that you're doing. And I wish I wish there was more of, of early revolution, but what there is is gold dust. And, um, I mean, I've got it all on an archive, so I'll stick it in the book, you know. So have there been a lot of photos where it's been like a, a physical photo and you've had to scan them all in? Summer scans, yeah. There's a few scans from the 90s that it, there's a few that have had to be scanned, yeah. And, and documentation and stuff like that. I've, I came on the other side of this scenario in the sense of with smartphones, the cameras on them are pretty fantastic, even on mid-range phones. They're compared to what we were using years ago, even as a standalone device. If you exclude the zoom factor for a minute, you know, it's for just a quick point and shoot and get a photo, it's great. Yeah. But I was at a party on Saturday. It was somebody's hundredth birthday, which is pretty spectacular. I don't she's the only person I know who's reached a hundred. So well done to her. But at the event there was uh, somebody going around taking photos with their smartphone. And it got to me and my wife, and, you know, I started to pose and put my arm around my wife. But she took a photo before I'd even got to that point. And they've just put on Facebook last night of all the photos of everybody there, and there's some nice ones, and like, yay, here's me with the 100-year-old and all that. And then there's me and my wife. My wife looks lovely, and there's me going... And it's it's not basically, folks. If you listen to the audio version, it's not a pleasing photo. I was quite surprised, and of course, this is on Facebook now for posterity. If I had Forever. the choice, I would have preferred me not with my mouth wide open, with my now COVID large stomach sticking out, <laughs> desperate to lose some weight, and there it is in full display. But never mind. What can you I'll, do? I'll, what can you? I'll do? search for that and see if I can find it. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> Uh, I'm not tagged, thankfully, so it will be very difficult. And sure. if I had been tagged, I'd have probably been a bit naughty and untagged myself. But, uh, yeah, what can you do? Smartphones, just photos and, indeed, videos being taken everywhere. And that's not across... I mean, work, even walking around the estate where I live, there's, like, tons of CCTVs, and they're all the smart ones. If it's not Google, it's probably the Amazon selection. If it's not the Amazon selection, it'll be ones that's probably streaming it to a cloud storage solution. And it just makes you wonder, you how much are we being captured now? You can't complain. You've got one on your doorbell, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. I've got a few cameras myself. I can't complain, but it is odd just walking around and thinking, do you know, if I walk down here doing anything up to no good, they'd be able to track every step of my route if they went to each house and asked for information yeah because it's just like everywhere you go there's a camera and we used to complain that you know the councils would be putting cameras everywhere particularly in towns but now because of the smart home devices it's you know it's on the outside of the house it's on the doorbell i mean it's good for security but you know if, if you're a bit privacy conscience and you don't want all this stored somewhere it's, it's going to be difficult it's just the flip side you need to you know the, the good side and the bad side are are linked together and that's just the way that's the way it'll be you know i can't see it ever changing there's never going to be less is there well maybe we'll change maybe we'll just all live in the countryside and with no electricity and we'll be sat there reading your book because it won't require any of these modern technologies. Exactly, you can read it and you can read it sat outside in the in the sunlight. Because it's only going to be a hard copy, isn't it? There's not going to be like a digital version, as far as you're aware. I, I, I'm, I yes, I'm, I'm not planning a, a, a digital version. No. So Definitely there you go, not. hard copy. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, you have to read it the real way. I love technology, but I still like to. I've I had quite a few books where I get the physical copy, and even if they've sent, you know, you buy the hard copy, they will send you the digital version as part of that. I'm always reading the hard copy. 
always. There's just something about nice about holding the book and turning the page. I, I've gone back. I mean, I, I was reading stuff on Kindle and um, invariably on an iPad or an iPhone or something. But then I, I started to think, well, I'm kind of you know, and I, and I read late at night. I, I just don't want to look at the screen anymore. You know, I want to look at not the screen because yeah. I've walked away from the computer to stop looking at screens. So uh, you know, the idea of pulling pulling your phone out and starting to read a book it's not it's not what I want to do. So I'm, I'm quite happily going back to paper. It went too far and stepped back a little bit. Well, my pursuit for the next couple of weeks is. Again, in the last podcast, I was talking about how I'd not really had much experience with Amigas. I'd never actually owned one myself personally. So I'm going to convert my Raspberry Pi 4 to an Amiga emulator. I'm going to have some fun with that. And I've also missed the 8-bit days. So I think I'm going to try some Commodore 64. And in particular, and I used to own one of these many years ago, an Atari X. 60 an Atari 65 XE, which I was a really nice 8 bit computer with the cassette tapes. Mm. And um, this music wasn't quite as good as the SID chip from the Commodore 64, but you know, it was still a really nice 8 bit machine, and I had a lot of fun with that. And I regret getting rid of it now, but you know, that's yeah, life, yeah. isn't it? But yeah. what would I plug it into now? It's a, unless you had one of the original monitors, and they're getting harder and harder to come by. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but Atari. I mean, what a great name that is. It's a shame it's not it's not doing much at the moment. I mean, it was such a strong name, isn't it? You think Atari? It's so been good. used for that many things that we wouldn't strictly call Atari over it's recent sort of handed years. Around, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of lost its its edge. It's a shame. It really is a shame because that Atari brand was something special. It was, wasn't it? I mean, it goes back so far. I mean, it, it was like. 70s i mean atari atari making video games was was a it was a very small thing in in california wasn't it i mean steve jobs and wozniak they, they worked there didn't they for a bit until they got thrown out mm. you know it was it was the really it was the genesis of a lot of things was atari well again Green's one up. of the ones i owned was the atari 2600 and i think that was that'd be my first proper console where you could plug in additional games it wasn't like a box and it had your predefined games and that was it i mean before that i would have had pong which was basically mm. pong <laughs> or tennis mm. pong or football pong <laughs> you know it, it was pong with some variants but then the atari 2600 came out and it had the cartridges and that was great and it all started i think it was the atari it probably inspired all my game interest yeah yeah any good stuff, good stuff. Indeed. And the Commodore, obviously, sixty four was a great machine as well. I didn't have the bread bin version, which was like the original case. I had the, I think it was the compact, the sixty four C. And it was, it was ironically it seemed bigger. It was had a bigger back to it, but it was, again, great eight bit computer. And I got mine just around the time where magazine when you could buy like magazines and it had a cassette with four games on it and it had like five full games on it. Didn't have to buy any games. It was ridiculous. It's like, I'll just get the next magazine. There's five games for me to try. There's another magazine of a different brand, different five games. Thank you very much. I'll buy that. That's very good. Yeah. Zap 64. Yeah, there was Great quite, action. yeah, there was loads back in the day. And that's something else we don't get now because if you want to, I mean, again, I would buy an Xbox magazine to get the demo disc. Now, you just download the demo, if there's a demo at all, because that seems to be also a thing that's not that prevalent anymore, to actually get a demo of a game before the actual release of the thing. You just get a pre, you just get a, you just get a, whatever it's called, uh, early access and all the sorts of things, don't you? Exactly, and that's probably easier for them to orchestrate because you hear quite a few things in the gaming news where the demos had extra content that shouldn't have been in and they've looked at the source files and they've been able to work out more the plot and unlock some more of the game. And Yeah, well, usually that was, that's what it would be. You know, you just, you someone, you know, we did we did a Beneath Still Sky demo and it came on, it came on one floppy and um, 
you know, someone would say, oh, we need a demo for feature publishing. Can you can you do it for tomorrow or for, for Friday, you know? And you'd go, well, you've got the real game, so you're just going to nobble it somehow so that it doesn't go past a certain point yeah. and chop, chop any extra data away that you can get away with and slap it on a floppy disk and that's the end of it, you know? But it, it was always a very quick job. You know, it was always, oh, no, we need a demo, but... This is the worst possible time for a demo because we're trying to finish the game. We're probably in the middle of crunch trying to trying to actually finish the game. Someone's asking for a demo, so you know you're going to try and do it in the least amount of time possible, which is basically put it in some, you know, if demo, then end it end it here. You know, probably quite easy to hack out. It, it boggles my mind to think how stressful that must have been at that time. With you know, the, the, they call it developer to, but... crunch, don't they? Where basically you you get into that point where it needs to release for a, a particular time, and that's where the hours really mount up, and you've just got to get it done. And if you factor yeah. in demos as well, and like you've you've just described the risk of having something in there that may reveal something else, Crazy. one way or another, yeah. And the the other problem was that you know the magazines were on six weeks lead time. So you know you 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 were you were very much probably alpha or something like that. You know you might be two months off a game coming out, but you need you need that demo now to be on a magazine at the same time as the because you because you don't want to get you don't want a demo on on the front of a front of a meager format that that can't be translated into someone saying oh I like this I'll go out to WH Smiths and buy it if if they can't. If they've got the demo in their hands, but they can't go out and buy the game, then the, then the whole thing's gone horribly wrong. So you know you have to try and time it perfectly. But with the lead time on the magazines, that's actually quite difficult to do. But one way or another, you're you're always making a demo out of an unfinished game, yeah, which is risky in itself because if it's got bugs in it or it's a bit ropey, and these things always tended to be. You I mean Broken Sword and Steel Sky? They were always ropey until two two weeks before they were finished you know just when it all snapped into focus with everything being perfect i mean a month out th- these games were terrible so you know you were, you were never making a demo at an optimal time i can imagine and it they could really be make or break because i remember again mm. you'd get your xbox demo disc or whatever it was at the time and you play it and you think oh we're really looking forward to this and you play it for a bit and you think this is terrible this is not what I expected at all, and then that would stop you buying the full game. Now, maybe when the full you, you game came out, they fixed the end, all saying, those problems. Maybe it ran better. Maybe the controls were better. Go on, Tony. It probably would. Uh, well, you know, you, you, you're going to print. You're going to end the demo. And you're going to say thank you for playing our demo, and then you, you kind of want to put on the next line: uh, the real game will be better than this. You know. It's like, but you had the same problem with exclusive reviews, and that was another thing. That, that there'd always well, be a magazine that had an exclusive, that had had a review an hour earlier than anybody else, and you would um, uh, sorry, not an hour, uh, uh, you know, a month, a month, an edition earlier than other magazines, so that you know you were making them that 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 review copy way in advance of of the game being finished, and, and that was that was dicing with death, you know. That's one good thing about the digital age, of course. Uh, it's 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 more instant. You know, you don't have this huge long lead time that the print magazines had. This is true, and the salvation of a day one patch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's close cousin. Right, right. Well, fifty six minutes in. I think we'll call this a day for Game and Gadget Podcast number nine. Thank you for those who joined us on the live stream and for your comments and questions. So, Stiff Peaks, I'm looking at you, sir. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And that's it from this Game and Gadget podcast. See you next time.